Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. While you're finding your seat, oh, nothing like teaching little kids, I swear, I love it, I love it. Listen, I want to testify this morning really quick before I get going into the Word while you're up. Those who are listening, <laughs> hey, i never seen the body of Christ come alive as it has to me in the last 22 days. I swear it. I've not, uh, <laughs> hey, praise Him, right? Praise Him. I've not cooked one meal for 22 days and I've eaten like a king. Like I'm sitting at the throne with David, brother. I mean, it's been a feast and a half, I swear. I don't know where the meals keep coming from. I mean, it's like a sacrificial thing or something. They just show up at the doorstep, and I eat good, buddy. I eat good. But I tell you that this morning because we're talking about the, the church in Philippi, and they're very similar to the church at Rock House. They, uh, their goal this morning, and for them then, and our goal this morning was to, uh, and it's the title of our sermon, is to walk worthy of the gospel. Really quick, uh, I'm going to say this because most of y'all know me. Most of the time I get up here and it's a tear fest. Well, I was listening to this guy as a preacher the other day. He's not the head chief like Pastor Tyler. He's somewhere underneath him, kind of like me. And uh, he said every time I used to get up, this was a couple years ago, and preach, I would do nothing but cry. So Pastor said, I'm making up a name. I didn't catch his name. He said, Johnny, why do you always cry when you get up there? He said, because I still have trouble believing that God's grace and mercy is good enough to save a sinner like me. And that's how I feel this morning. Amen? Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to get a line with this camera. It looks like it's over here. <laughs> it's all right. It ain't about me. It's about him. So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about walking worthy of the gospel. Um, I talked to Sister Elizabeth there on Thursday. I said, listen, I've been studying this for about 10 days now. Nothing's clear. I don't know how Paul even come up with this back in the day. But it was Friday night about 930. Uh, with the help of the Lord, it hit me. And it become clear. And I hope it's as clear to you as it was to me at 1030 on a Friday night or 930, whatever time that was. So I want to start this morning by talking about walking worthy of the gospel. That's our title for our sermon this morning. We're in Philippians. Chapter 1 will be at verse 27 through 30, just 4, uh, but it's going to be a long 4. I've missed you so much, it's going to be about 30 minutes. You're going to be just a little over. Don't be mad at me, okay? Uh, but I think we got to do some catching up. I want to start this morning by asking you, how do you think a Christian should live? Hmm, tough question off the bat, huh? What characteristics uh, should make a true Christian stand out from somebody maybe who's a non-believer? Somebody who doesn't know the gospel. Well, as we hear this morning, Paul's going to show us in Philippians 1, verse 27 through 30. He's going to give us the answer to these questions, okay? 
Now, just a quick rundown of what Brother Dan and Pastor Tyler's been talking about. I haven't been here for the whole thing, so I'm going to make sure you get to hear the gospel from me and from the Lord. All right? It says, uh, when he started out, Paul was talking about uh, pretty much himself in the first few verses of this chapter, okay? He's talking about what's going on with him, what he's going through. And 3 through 11, he expresses his relationships and his thoughts with the Philippian believers. He goes on to say something like this about them. He said, He was thankful to God for them because of their faithful participation with him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was confident that God would continue the work in them, okay, until the day of Christ came. Then he goes on in verses 12 through 26. I'm leading us up to where we're at now. He explains uh, his situation and his response to it. Now, I want to remind you, Where's Paul at at this time? Go, come on. In jail. He's in jail, brother. He ain't getting free meals like, well, he's getting free meals like I do, just not, not uh, a little bit different setting, okay? Okay, so he's in prison, and even while he's in there, there's Christians seeking to cause him harm, to tear down his reputation, okay? But Paul knew that God was still using him in his ministry to glorify God, whether it was to the guards that he was chained to or to the brothers that were watching him. Here's a beautiful thing this morning from the message. There's a few points in here I want you to really take home, and this is one of them. Paul rejoiced that Christ was being proclaimed regardless of his circumstance, of the situation that he was in, or of whatever was going on around him. He was rejoicing, good or bad. Now, it's important to know, put yourself in Paul's shoes. Let's think of it like this. You're in prison. You don't know really if you're going to live or die. You don't know. It, one of the two's coming. Okay? Paul just didn't know. Okay? But Paul knew that in verse 21, he says this, To live is what? Christ. And to die is gain. Paul knew there was deliverance coming for him. And as Christians, we should feel the same way. Okay? We should feel the same way. So this morning, if you would, if you got a Bible, if you got a phone, I know, or if you want to eyes up here, we're going to turn to verses 27 through 30. And if you're there, say word. Right, because we're reading from the what? The word. All right, here we go. Uh, NASB translation. Thanks to Miss uh, Rosetta Sizemore, I got a new Bible, and I'm working that thing, young lady. I'm working it, okay? So here we go. It says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Man, that's important. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing in firm in one spirit with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28 says, in no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for who? You. And that too is from God. Verse 29. For to you it has been granted. Some translations are going to say given. Given for Christ's sake. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Verse 30. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul's still there. He's still struggling. He's writing while he's struggling. That takes me to my first point this morning. I want you to keep in mind, okay? My first point is, 
conduct worthy of the gospel. Now, we're going to hang out in verse 27 a while. It is a packed verse. The more that it become clear to me, the more I wrote, okay? And I thought, wow, I timed myself this morning. It was about 31 minutes, so just hang tight, okay? We're just about 7 in. So here we go. I want you to look at verse 27. Paul starts out with an important word, only. Only, okay? Paul wants them to have a clear understanding of the overall command and objective that he's received from the Lord that he's telling them about. This is the church in Macedonia at Philippi. When you think about it, let's think about what Jesus said. This is the supreme command God has given us as Christians. Here we go. This one's from Matthew 22, verse 37 and 38. This is what God, Jesus said, and Paul's piggybacking, right? Because there's nothing new under the sun. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's what Paul's basically saying. Only conduct yourselves in this manner because of this. Your heart will be after God if you do. Now, what I love about Jesus, okay, he's a better teacher than most of us. He don't just tell you the goal. Now, here's where we want to be. He gives you the method to get there, okay? He doesn't leave us hanging. Because in Matthew 28, later on in the same similar setting, same speech, verses 19 and 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, <laughs> I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, folks, I come to you telling you that this morning because sometimes as a church, it's easy to forget, isn't it? If you say it isn't, <laughs> we're not conducting ourselves worthy of the manner of the gospel. I'm just saying, okay? It's tough. Life's tough. We may lose focus as church leader. Sometimes I lose a balance. Trust me, when you get kids, praise all you parents this morning, it's hard to strike a balance, okay? It's hard. You're feeding them and you're studying the Word all at the same time. It's kind of difficult. I'm not going to lie. But this is just some examples of how a church may lose their focus or their balance, okay? We may focus on one ministry over the other, okay? That's easily done. Sometimes I get caught up in all the kids and I just forget what's going on elsewhere. See, we're part of a body and everybody's got a job and we all work together, okay? Or even this, we may get caught up in the emotional elements of worship. I do. I get tore up sometimes. And, and, and in that moment, I sometimes forget what God's really trying to say to me intellectually, meaning he's given me this sign to go do this thing, okay? He's not just filling my cup for me to walk out here and say, oh, man, I feel good. Feel good the next Sunday, okay? He's wanting you to go, therefore, baptize them, right? Make disciples. And this one may be... <laughs> the most important, and this is sometimes oh, what we forget, okay? Our church today, our American churches are all about the numbers most of the time, right? We want to see our churches grow, and that's great. But look, we can't forget 
to keep reaching out to them and bringing them in. But once we get them there, we have to tell them the truth about Jesus. You have to remind them of the holiness that he was and is. And we have to tell them, Brother Steve. We have to tell He loves you. But we got to conduct ourselves in his love, not in our how we feel, okay? I'm going to piggyback off that just a little bit. You think about this, okay? Think about what Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery. Did he condemn her? He didn't. Matter of fact, he said the ones that's condemning, throw the first stone there. Come on. They backed out. Oh, hey, I'll see you later, brother. Catch you on the other side of the river. But that wasn't it. And that's what we as churches do. Don't condemn them. You're no better. We're not. But look, he told her what? Go sin no more. He wanted her to conduct herself as if she received Jesus in her heart. That's us, okay? That's us. And lastly, and I say this, we only do this sometimes, I hope. I pray to God we never do it ever. But sometimes as Christians, and I'm guilty, I'll condemn someone before I love them. You ever been done that way? <laughs> yeah, sure you have. Sure you have. People talk about church hurt. Why? They were condemned before they were loved. You see? At Rock House, I firmly believe we're the, we got it the other way around. I don't even know if we condemn. We may need to get, get a little better at telling them about the holiness part. Okay? But we do love. We love. And I tell you, I know that because I've eaten good this week. I've told you that once already. But I want to go a little bit deeper in what Paul means in this uh, a certain scripture here. Okay? He's talking about conducting ourselves. Now I'm just going to give you a little definition in case you don't know what conduct means. It means to live your life or to live as a citizen of something. Okay? Now it's important to understand because when you're talking about the Philippians here, okay, they had a keen sense of dependency upon each other. Okay? They depended on the person in front of them, behind them, left to the right of them. All righty? And they knew that whatever they did could bring honor to this person or it could bring disgrace to this person. And more importantly, it would bring honor or disgrace to Christ. Now, this was a prideful bunch of people. They were Roman citizens. At that time, that was like, a, I don't know, being a Los Angeles Laker throwing a ball to LeBron, maybe. I don't know. But they felt important, okay? So their pride is through the roof. Now, Paul goes on to tell them, though, in verse, which you're going to read sooner or later, you're going to hear about. In chapter 3, verse 20, he goes on to tell them that, you know, while you've got that pride here, just remember, your citizenship is where? In heaven. That's what you're truly a citizen of. So while you're here on earth, you've got to think, if my citizenship's up there, what am I doing down here to glorify him up there? We've got to keep that in mind, okay? So Paul's commanding them and us to have a devotion to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That would result in our living honoring him. And what I love about this command, I'm, I'm going to be in verse 27 just a little while longer. Hang with me. Is there, there's positives from it. As Christians, I hope that we see the positives rather than the negatives. Paul's telling them to live their life in this manner because of what you are. Who you are. 
and whom your allegiance is to. He knows the Philippians know that they don't do these things just to receive blessings or to stay away from bad things, okay? So bad things don't happen to them. And as Christians, we should do the, do the same because really our life doesn't belong to us. There was someone who died for us, and it belongs to him. So we've got to keep that in mind. That's why Paul said to live is for Christ, to be Christ. Okay? So I ask us, going back to that question again, when a non-Christian looks at a Christian, what are they to see? What's the different mannerisms that you have now? Well, Brother Kyle and I were talking one day. We've changed quite a bit for the goodness and grace of the Lord, okay? Never would I have thought I'd been standing here. Kyle's put on some weight and lost it again, all for good reasons. We've talked about it. Our diets have changed. We get our cup filled from the Lord instead of our cup filled from something else. You see what I'm saying? Now, when a non-Christian looks at a Christian... They're going to judge. I just tell you, they're going to judge you. They don't know the truth. They may have heard it, but they don't know it. So we've got to keep thinking, what kind of witness am I am to somebody who don't know the gospel? Or what kind of witness am I am to somebody who's a Christian? Okay? Here's the good news about Jesus, though. He's not just an escape from hell. Praise the Lord. I, I'm going. I want to move to where it snows all the time, Brother Greg. I hate the heat. I hate the heat. When I realized that at age 25, I said, "I better get on up," because I don't like the heat. You know what I'm saying? Here's what he is. He's salvation from our sin. He's righteousness. He's brought us into a relationship with God where we couldn't do it. We could not do it. And knowing that, we need to walk properly. Do the best we can. We're not perfect. I know that. Now, I can tell you all kinds of stories. I was frustrated with a newborn last night. Pulled a ball out of her mouth at 3 in the morning. She smiled so big. I thought, Lord, help me. Sheesh. Praise God. Prayed for this, and you give it to me. Here we go. Second point of the day, our reputation. This is still from verse 27. Paul hears that the Philippians are doing well. He's bragging on them, okay? He's talking about their walk with Christ. He, he's kind of puffing them up, if you get what I'm saying here, before he kind of breaks them down a little bit. Listen, our reputation is important. It's important. Our reputation will be seen as, are we praising God or are we praising self, Okay? God hears, self hears. There's no in-between, folks. It's either here or there. You're on one side of the aisle or the other, okay? Now, let me tell you what our reputation can do for others. This is the Brian Hubbard version of Romans 8, 29. Every Christian is in the process of being conformed in the image of Christ. Every one of you. And will always have room to improve until the day of Christ. Folks, we never stop getting better. We're trying to be more like Jesus. Pick up your cross. When? Daily. Daily. Not on Sunday 
whatever, okay? No, not just then. Short story, when I was a young boy about reputation here, I had a stepdad, good man, great guy, I still love him today. He told me something at 13 years old that I didn't know until I was 25, Greg. He said, your reputation, Brian, will go further than you will. <laughs> what? 13, you have no clue what that means. I didn't text then, or I would probably text somebody and ask them. They wouldn't text them then. But at 25, I realized they will hear about Brian Hubbard before they ever meet his face. Somebody's going to say something about me before they ever see me. They're going to have an impression. People say first impressions last a lot. They do. But really the first impression is what they've already heard. Okay? So let's bring Christ with us. That way we can change whatever's been heard, whether good or bad. Okay? Whether good or bad. And here's the wonderful thing about Christianity. If you're not a Christian this morning, please hear me. You can leave after this, okay? Well, no, we got to offer a call later. Don't leave. And when I realized this truth, it changed my life. Listen, I, I'm going on short sleep. I said, I do better on, on no sleep. I said, God, you're going to preach a sermon this morning. Remove me because I ain't going to be awake. Check this out. God takes us in whatever condition that we are in. And he saves us. Hear me out. I'm going to go a little further. Then the process of change begins. Okay? Now, I didn't say we change and then come. That's impossible. You do not have the power to change your thoughts and how you live. You don't. You don't get clean and then come to God. <laughs> you don't. You come to God, and he cleans you. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. That's why our reputation is so important as Christians, folks. Point three, stand firm in one mind with, I'm sorry, in one spirit with one mind. It don't matter. You can flip it around. It's the word. Paul mentions standing firm in one spirit. What he's really saying is hold your ground. No matter what comes your way, hold your ground. Us as mountain folks should be good at that. Paul knew, though, he, that the Philippians, he knew who he was talking to. The culture in Philippi was made from military families. So when Paul was talking to them, he knew he had to get their attention by talking to them in a military verbiage, shall I say. So he says, stand firm. Hey, that got their attention. I know what that is. My husband's a soldier. Not only is he a father, he's a soldier. My dad fought for this city right here in Philippi. So they knew. But for us, the figurative language is this. Hold fast to your beliefs as Christians, to your principles, regardless of personal cause. As Christians, we've got to be firmly rooted, deep, like a tree beside the water, in biblical truth. And folks, we can't compromise it. We can't. God, did he hold anything back from us? Absolutely not. And here in America, we've kind of got it made. I'll just be honest with you. Anybody in here been shot at for praising Jesus' name on the street corner? <laughs> no. No, you've not. Now, you may lose some worldly things. Notice I said worldly things, not godly things. You may lose some worldly things. But you go to other places around the world. You turn on the news. Maybe don't in some cases. But sometimes turn on the news. People's getting persecuted physically, 
There's torture. There's even death. Brother Ezra said he went to, went to Haiti and said, rice and beans was steak and lobster over there. Rice and beans. We've got it made. We've got it made, folks. We've got it made. And you've got to remember, Paul was in prison because why? He was proclaiming the name of Jesus. And it offended some of the higher-ups. Long story short, let's just get down to it. It offended some of the higher-ups. As Christians, we've got to take it seriously, what Jesus says. Amen? Well, here's what, here's what he says in John 16, 33. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. The battle's been won. The battle's been won. Folks, if you're a Christian, you're walking out of this into eternity. There ain't no ifs, ands, buts about it. I know if whatever happens, I'm going. I'm going, man. And I love it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. John 15, 18, Jesus says this. It gets even better. Y'all think you heard it all. If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. You're not the only one. You're not the only one going through the struggle. I had a, a bald coach one time, changed my life, and I was feeling bad. He said, son, you're not the only one in this world that has trouble. You're not. He said, you better find somebody that you can talk to. If it's me, if it's somebody else, you're not the only one. So, folks, that's what Paul means. Stand firm when persecution comes. In one mind and one spirit. I'm just going to piggyback off that end of this. As Christians, we can't be hermits. <laughs> we have to work together with our walk with Christ. The person sitting next to you, whether it's a husband or wife or in front of you, is, you don't know it, but it's crucially important to your growth in Christ. Paul Sizemore is crucial to me. Kyle Crisp is crucial to me. John Cal you all are crucial to me walking with the Lord. I haven't ate 22 days. I ain't cooking nothing. I'm telling you. And listen, Jesus must have blessed some lemonade. That was as good as the wine at the wedding back in the day. That Corey can make some lemonade, you all. I'm telling you. I'm going to start a GoFundMe for her. She can do it. Well, let me explain to you about the body of Christ. Paul writes in Romans 12, verses 5 through 6. He says this. I'm going to try not to I get tongue-tied on this. So we, who are many, it's us, are one in Christ and individually members one of another. You're part of me. I'm part of you. It's just the way it is. We've been adopted into this family. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace of given to us. I love the kids. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. We all have a gift. Only Shepherd raised more kids than anybody that you'll ever know. That man has a gift. I'm telling you. Lonnie Napper's got more patience than anybody I've ever seen. You know when there's trouble, you know who they call? Yeah. But don't want to, he has to pay to do that. They don't pay him nothing. Bless his heart. You know, I think it's, a it's much easier, and I hope you'd agree with me, to stand for something you believe in when there's others that feel the same way you do. 
right? There's strength in numbers. That's why these people like Paul paved the way for us. He was in prison by himself at one time. So I encourage you, stand with each other. Stand with me, I'll stand with you. I'm going to stand with you whether you stand with me or not, okay? Because I love you. Point four, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's simple. We have to work together. I'm telling you right now, you have to work together. Jesus, how many disciples did he have? Anybody got the answer? Yeah, one. Peter would have been dead, wouldn't he, a long time ago. He'd have sunk in that boat. He jumped off the boat there. He'd have sunk. I'm telling you, though, we have to learn to sacrifice our own power and our own position. You know, uh, when I become associate pastor, <clears throat> for a moment I thought it might get easier. Oh, no. I feel it on myself. I need to do more, right? But it's not because <laughs> it's about me. It's all about glorifying Jesus Christ. That's why I'm standing here today. And for all of you that's coaches and love sports like I do, I'm going to bring it home to you. Church is a team. Okay? We have to work together to complete the mission. This should be our desire. This is Romans 6, 4. I'm bouncing all over the place, but I'm getting there, okay? Our desire should be for people to come to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and learn to walk in the newness of life. That's what you're here for, folks. You're not here for anything else. Your desire should burn for other people. Point five. Now we're moving into verse 28. Praise the Lord, right? 30 minutes later, we're on to the next verse. Have no fear. Hmm. Paul says, in no way be alarmed by your opponents. The idea here is to be afraid or frightened, Paul's touching on. But this is not fear that paralyzes you. Not like when David was in Psalms, Lord, deliver me from my opponents. It's a little bit different. It's similar, but it's a little bit different. He knew, remember, there was a military town. He had to come at them like this. Okay? Believers, we can't be controlled by fear. Paul, the type of fear he's talking about is one that you will turn and run from. Now, be paralyzed, okay? And I want to say that the devil's around every corner, right, of your life. You're going to leave out here, and before it turns Monday, you're going to be persecuted. So you've got about 10 more minutes before persecution starts. But do this. Don't turn and run. Get behind me, Satan. I've got somewhere to go. I've got something to do for Jesus. Don't be controlled by fear. Because Paul tells us this in four, Philippians 4, verse 6. You can read it with me. I don't know if you got it, but we need to memorize it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Don't go through it alone. He's got you. He's right there. Paul points out two important truths. One, that he will destroy those who oppose him. That's God, that is. Second, that God will save those who follow him. The salvation Paul's talking about here, folks, is salvation from the Lord. Because those who aren't saved are going to feel the wrath of God. It's coming. Whether he brings you out of the grave or whether he comes while you're still standing here, we need to make sure that we're adopted into God's family. Matthew 25, God tells us heaven and hell are both real places. 
And here's a good way to know if you're doing the right thing, okay? Before I get to my last point. Here's a good way to know you're doing the right thing. <laughs> Guy said, a person will know if he's walking with Christ by his enemies. Took me a while to understand what he's saying. Okay? When the devil comes at you, it's just a confirmation, folks, that you're on the right side. You're on the right team. There's nothing better. As third day says, there's nothing compares to the greatness of knowing the Lord. Nothing. I pray, I pray that we as Christians conduct our life in a manner worthy of the gospel so that others will see. Last point. <laughs> this one may drive it home. This one really threw me for a loop, Brother Cal. Because I got the first part of this, but the second one rocked my socks. The point is, on behalf of Christ. <laughs> oh, boy. I want to point out that Paul's got confidence when he says this. He, but here's what he says. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, verse 29, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. He's given you that. He's given you that suffering. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Here's a beautiful thing this morning, guys. Paul viewed both his salvation and his suffering as a joy. He knew that they come together. You can't have one like married with children without the other. It is what it is. Okay? Now, for us, it's easy to believe the, the believing part. I have no problem with understanding that God sent his only son to die for me, to forgive me of my sins, to provide salvation for me on the cross. I can accept that gift all day long, knowing I don't deserve it. I'm good with that. Are you all? Yeah, amen, right? I am. But here's the part I kind of had trouble with. <laughs> he also granted us suffering. That's a gift from the Lord. Now, this suffering is that persecution we were just talking about, okay? But it's important to remember <laughs> that we, we belong to the Lord, that our lives are not ours. They're God's. And suffering for him will only do one thing, point to him. If you don't believe me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, and I'm almost finished here. I just got a little bit left. Hang tight. Paul writes, in fact, <laughs> in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's coming. You're going to walk out this door. As a matter of fact, let me piggyback off that. I'm out of gas, lost my wallet. I need $10 from somebody out there, okay? Persecution's already here. About didn't make it. True story. True story. Y'all think I'm lying. My wife's going to kill me when I get home. I said it helps she didn't have all the money, Greg. Hey, God will provide a way. He's a way maker. I don't know about you, but I'm fortunate that there's been examples go before me like Paul, like Peter. Can you imagine doing this without anything? Without the Bible, without Scripture? Can you imagine? I'd be the only one. Oh, gosh, no. What do I do now? We got the whole picture. We got the answer on here, over there, and in here. 
We've got the answer. So this morning I pray that you rejoice like Paul and the other apostles did, even in persecution. And I pray that we can do the same as he did, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And if you are afraid and you cannot handle the suffering that's going to come, I want you to read this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is it. So whoever's closing, you don't want me singing, okay? This is it. 13 says, take this home with you. Pray over this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I love it. I could have this little sentence right here. And God is faithful. That's all I need. I can stop right there. But it, he goes on to tell you a little more about life. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he... Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.